Welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast with Joe Lavelle and Dr. Glenn Winkle. On today's episode number 48, I am pleased to have Matthew Smith of Ever Athlete on the show. Matt is a sports chiropractor and strength coach, and he works with professional athletes, Olympians, and masters athletes like you and me. In part one of our two-part discussion, we explore the topic of breathwork, which is the use of breathing practices to improve health as well as athletic performance. Matt shares the practices he has used himself and with his clients to get faster recovery. We go through a ton of material, so go into this discussion knowing this. Breathing directly changes whether our bodies are in a stressful alert state or in a calm recovery state. Of course, other factors matter too, but simply by breathing in a particular way, each of us can dramatically affect how we feel, how much energy we have, how we perform athletically, and whether we get restful, restorative sleep to help with recovery and adaptation from exercise. Here's the main point. If you are breathing improperly much of the day and while you sleep, you are operating on a reduced ability to shed chronic stress and you have an impaired ability to recover from training. In short, your breathing practices are probably costing you speed and power in your sport. Personally, I think this is one of the biggest opportunities we have to do something smart for our health and our ability to be strong and active for a long time. I am now making this a big part of my daily routine and fitness practices, and I promise this won't be the last episode about breathing for health and athletic performance. All right, let's talk to Matthew Smith of Ever Athlete. Matthew, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. I appreciate you taking some time to help us out here. Thanks for having me. As you know, Matthew, the focus of the Wise Athletes Podcast is the older athlete and how we can improve athletic performance today, as well as retain athletic capability for a long time. So obviously, we are interested in your tips on getting stronger and faster. But we are also interested in the impact of fitness on health and longevity and the impact of health on fitness as well. So with what I've read about you, I think you can help us out here. But before we dive in, I wonder if you could just tell our audience a little bit about your background, the type of work you do. Give us a hint about uh, the kind of people who come to you for your expertise. I am a sports chiropractor and a strength coach. Um, I've worked in athletic performance and the corporate world for almost 15 years now nice. um, and work with a range of athletes. You know, I started a company called Ever Athlete, which is uh, now it's an online platform uh, designed to help athletes engage more effectively and for longer in the outdoors. So Great. for things like hiking, running, swimming, cycling, we have training programs and recovery resources for athletes that have outdoor pursuits. Great. Um, but initially, Ever Athlete started out as a company that was geared towards uh, injury treatment and prevention for athletes. Okay. And, you know, it grew into more of a performance training company eventually. So we've kind of developed into, into this, a company that is, is really trying to meet anyone wherever they are on the health spectrum and get them where they want to go particularly athletes. Okay. And so we have used a, a wide variety of resources ranging from strength training to soft tissue therapy and injury prevention techniques. And, you know, personally, from the work that I've done with, with different athletes, uh, I've gotten into the world of, of breath work as a tool for 
recovery um, is the big thing that I'll use breathwork for. And so, you know, in terms of the personal work that I've done, I've worked with a lot of different people. I've been really fortunate to work with a, a, a wide variety of athletes ranging from Olympians and world champions to amateur athletes and actually do work with quite a few masters athletes. Um, and so Great. in terms of the vantage point of how these different resources can help masters athletes, um, fortunately had to have a pretty good one. Yeah, that's the, that's the premise of, of my work and, and Ever Athlete. Great. Well, hey, thanks for that. Just for the audience's sake here, let me announce that we're going to record two podcasts here just so that we can cover more of what you know without creating a monster episode for people. Really, the bulk of your expertise is going to be in what we're going to talk about second, which is this idea of performance training for adventure and endurance athletes that includes injury prevention. But first, we're going to talk about this breathwork idea that you mentioned. I'm just dying to talk to an expert like yourself about this. I, I've been hearing so much. I mean, there's, there's been a bunch of books that have come out in the last few years that have talked about this that to some extent just sound crazy. How, how could it be true that something as simple as changing how you breathe could have these big effects on our body? But I, I have done some of it myself, and I can attest that it does have a big impact. I'm nowhere near actually even being good at it, but I'm working on it all the time, and I have ambitions for getting even better. So the first episode will be about breathwork, and then we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll get into the broader picture. So, Dr. Matt, what is breathwork? <laughs> that is quite a question. I mean, <laughs> what is breathwork? I think breathwork in itself is the practice of breathing okay. from the vantage point of improving one's health. And I mean, I, I'll, I'll preface this whole conversation by saying, I'm not a breath researcher, nor do I consider myself a complete expert on breathwork. I have used breathwork heavily personally and with athletes for some of the purposes that we'll talk about in this little conversation about breath. Great. Uh, but when it comes to breath, I mean, breath work is the deliberate practice of breath. It's the, it's the conscious effort to improve your state of being. And we'll talk a little bit about what that actually means. Um, but the premise of incorporating a breath practice to improve your overall health or performance, I think requires you to just take a look at a couple principles. And one is that we need oxygen in order to survive. And we need to be efficient with our usage of oxygen in order to produce ATP or energy within our tissues okay. and be able to perform at a high level, especially aerobically. And so right. from the reference point of aerobic athletes, having an efficient engine that utilizes oxygen very well is in our best interest. The second piece to this is that stress is something that we have to deal with and work around and be able to thrive in the midst of. And we live in a chronically stressful environment in our daily lives. And we also undergo stress when we train. 
And that's a piece that a lot of people forget is that training is stress and your body registers training in some ways the same that it registers an extremely stressful day. You know, your blood pressure skyrockets, your heart rate increases. There's all these physiological changes that occur when we're in a stressed state. And furthermore, one of the critical pieces to being a high-level athlete for a long time is the skill of recovery. And the transition, what recovery really is, is the transition from a very stressful state to a very restful state. We need to be in a restful state to gain the benefits and access the adaptation to our training. So all the effort that goes into training, all the effort that goes into exercise and the pursuit towards the goal, whatever it is, physically requires adaptation to the work that we put in. And that only happens when we're away from that work. And so one of the skills that I try to work with with myself and implement with different athletes is the skill of transitioning out of training. So how quickly can you transition from a very stressed state from training at a, you know, regardless of whatever the workout is, whether it's an aerobic workout or you're doing something in the gym, how quickly can you get out of that into a more restful and adaptive state? And the more uh, scientific language that we would apply to that would be, you know, accessing your parasympathetic nervous system. How well can you get into your rest and digest state? Um, And and one of the things that I've found in the research that I've done with breath work is that you can leverage breath work to make that happen in a more effective and faster way. And so when it comes to the breath work that I personally do and the stuff that I use with my athletes, we try to leverage breath work to transition us out of a sympathetic state or a fight or flight state of training into a rest and digest state of adaptation and recovery. So those are the things that, you know, if we're, if we're talking about strictly performance, so breath work during a performance state, we want to think about, you know, how efficient is our body at transitioning, or I should say transporting oxygen from the air that we breathe into our lungs, into our tissues. And then secondly, how good are we at recovering? How good are we at turning off our fight or flight response of training and getting into a more rest and digest state of recovery? Great. Those are the two critical things that I think, you know, when you start thinking about implementing a breath practice for yourself, it's as simple as that. Those are the two vantage points that I would say you, you should operate from. Great. So we have benefits from a athletic performance sort of in a real-time setting that if we can be better at putting oxygen into our muscles to make ATP, so there's an upside to being more efficient with breathing as well then is the, the longer term benefit of if we can recover faster, we can train harder. So we're going to have better performance that way. And our body doesn't really understand the difference between stress from training and stress from having a bad boss, you know, or just challenges of life. So to the extent that we can use breath work to help us manage our stress just of our life, as well as our training, again, the better we can recover, the harder we can train, the better performance we can have over time. Mm -hmm. Did I get that right? Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, great. So let's, let's try to break this into chunks here just to keep it from being too confusing. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, why it works and maybe we can talk a little bit 
you know, go down another layer in terms of these benefits for athletic performance and maybe even like general health. And then we can get into what are these skills that we can learn, these practices we can adopt to help us to get these benefits. Does that sound okay? It does. Yeah. I think um, in terms of why it works, if we're talking about it being deliberate practice of breath, I mean, you can do a lot of different things in the realm of breath practice. There's a billion different cadences and routines that you could follow. Um, But if we're talking strictly about like, hey, how do we improve the oxygenation of our tissue? How do we improve our ability to efficiently get oxygen out of our lungs into our tissues? One of the things that is hardest for people to comprehend when it comes to some of the talk around breath work can be very confusing and counterintuitive for people because because of the fact that air into your lungs does not equate to oxygen in your tissue necessarily. Right. And so honestly, the the conversations that I have about breath and I have a lot of them, um, that's probably the hardest thing for people to really wrap their mind around because we breathe in and out all the time. That's a very intuitive process for us, but the efficiency of, of how well we utilize the oxygen that is in the air that we breathe in is a more challenging thing to, to really visualize and wrap our minds around. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think it also is a source of counterintuitivism here, where if you're thinking that just getting more air into your lungs is the answer, then your natural conclusion would be to just breathe more, Mm -hmm. to get more oxygen. But that actually is works against you, doesn't it? Seemingly in the, in the research and the, in the personal practice that I've had and, and, you know, with some of the stuff that I found with my athletes, it's, you know, there's this principle called the Bohr effect, which is the binding capability of this molecule called hemoglobin. Hemoglobin is again, a molecule in your blood and it transports oxygen from the air in your lungs to your tissues. Mm -hmm. In order for that process to happen effectively, there has to be CO2. Now, most people's, you know, idea or relationship with CO2 is that we want to breathe out CO2. We don't want too much CO2 in our system. And a lot of the research that's coming out now, and there's, I mean, fortunately, there's so much great research being done on breath and the way that it impacts our health overall. But a lot of the research is showing that you have to have CO2 in your system. You have to have the presence of CO2 in order for hemoglobin to bind to oxygen effectively and deliver it to your tissues. And the more CO2 that you have, the better that process happens. So if you imagine, you know, just think about hyperventilation quickly, you know, so you're breathing hard and fast in and out, in and out, out through your mouth. When you go through a cycle like that, you are breathing out repeatedly and you're blowing out CO2 over and over and over. You're offloading all of your CO2. And what that does is it reduces the amount of CO2 in the presence of your lungs and reduces the capability of hemoglobin to bind properly to O2, to oxygen and deliver it to your tissues. So even though you're breathing hard and fast, you're getting air in and out, it's not necessarily translating to effective usage of oxygen. Now this gets much murkier and more gray when we start talking about, you know, zone three, four, five work where you're breathing hard and fast and you're going through that. And if you really go deep 
in the world of breath, you'll start to understand that there is a gradient to this stuff. So it's not like, hey, should we all be breathing through our nose only in zone five work? Certainly not. But we need to breathe at a level that's appropriate to our exertion. So if we're at rest, so Joe, right now, the ideal breath pattern for you is a slow, deep, nasal breathing pattern. Because what that does is it not only brings air into your lungs, but you maintain a high level of CO2 by not breathing out constantly, offloading that CO2. You keep CO2 elevated in your system and improve the likelihood or the capability of hemoglobin to bind to your oxygen that's in the air and deliver it to your tissues. Yeah, let me ask you a question about that, if I could. Yeah, go ahead. This hunger for breathing seems to be a thing that's related to your comfort with CO2. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, your ability to handle a higher CO2-laden environment is also a skill. And a lot of people do not have that skill developed, which is why we chronically overbreathe. Okay. Until we start practicing this. And so viewing it as a skill that you can work on and can improve is, I think, a really good place to start from. Okay. And so, yeah, I would say people oftentimes will overbreathe. I mean, I think that a lot of the, like the roots of why people overbreathe is because we're so chronically stressed out and we don't even really realize it, you know? We live in a very, very stressful society, whether you're driving to work or dealing with your kids or your spouse, there are a lot of stressors throughout our day. And I think over time, we get worse and worse at transitioning out of that stressful state into a more relaxed state. I think another thing that happens, I've read, is that things like bad posture or even just bad habits related to how we breathe, like chest breathing, as opposed to diaphragmatic breathing with your belly. Mm -hmm. You just get into habits of doing that. But because you're doing that, it now has an effect on the stress level of your body. So in some cases, it's not the stress causing you to have these bad breathing patterns. It's your bad breathing habits, which is causing the stress, which then feeds back on accelerating these breathing problems. Yeah. Poor breathing mechanics certainly drives some of these issues. It, be, it essentially becomes a, a big vicious cycle that feeds on itself. Yeah. You know, you're right. Um, poor posture and poor breathing mechanics leads to less diaphragmatic activation, which is your big breathing muscle, increased accessory breath work. So using your neck and rib cage elevators to hike up your rib cage to increase lung, lung inflation. And over time, that creates uh, this vicious cycle of having to breathe more and more in order to get air in to suffice what you're doing, right? So, yeah. it's, um, yeah, there's the tricky thing about breath work is that there are so many different facets to it that you can touch on and talk about. And, and there's so many different elements. The fundamentals that I'll usually start with with people are, like you said, breath mechanics and also cadence. Got it, got it. So breath mechanics and cadence are the two things that are the foundation of everything. If you're getting into a breath practice, so say you start implementing some of these tools, these ideas of, hey, I want to exhale a little bit longer than I inhale. If you're doing that, but your breath mechanics are poor, 
you'll be far less effective with your efforts. Whereas if you take a little bit of time to master diaphragmatic breathing, which I'll send you a video. I have a video on this that I'll send over to you. Great. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. Practicing the skill of, of actually getting a good deep breath is the foundational thing that a lot of people lose that skill over time because we do this quick, shallow breathing. And a lot of that is driven through stress and all these different things. But but yeah, like you said, working on mechanics first, then starting to get into this improvement of CO2 tolerance or this improvement of your ability to handle a high CO2 environment with the effort of trying to improve your usage of oxygen overall um, is, is kind of where we'll go. That's great. Somebody listening to this might think, well, hell, I don't want more CO2. That's bad for me. I, I want more oxygen. Well, hey, more CO2 is what gets you the more oxygen. So you got to take two steps to get to the one step that you're interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I, I want to hit on these tools and techniques, practices mm-hmm. here at the end of this. And so let's just make sure we've touched on everything. One of the things that people hear about breathwork half the time, when I mention it to people, they're like, what is that? But most of the other people who have heard of it have heard of it in the context of things like yoga or meditation. Mm-hmm. That's probably really where that comes from. Those practices have sort of evolved as tools and techniques for a very long time. The why of it is kind of hard to get to the bottom of and, and maybe is outside of the scope of what we can talk about here today. But the it's just true that even though our brains control our breathing to make sure that we get enough oxygen to stay conscious, and then as we start exercising, we don't have to think about how much more we have to breathe. We just start breathing more. So it does work in in that direction where the autonomic system is controlling these things that are really important to us. But it is also true that we can manipulate our own breathing. And it will have an effect on our minds, on our brains, how it functions, uh, as well as the the rest of our body. And everybody knows this. If you've ever um, been in a in a bad mood and you force yourself to smile, you feel better. Well, why does that make any sense? It doesn't, but it just works. So our mm-hmm. bodies and our brains through our nervous system is are connected, and it works both ways. So we can manipulate our breathing to change our body and change our mental states. And that's great that we can do that. So why shouldn't we learn how that works? The bad side of that is that we have learned bad habits. Probably we were all born knowing how to breathe just exactly right. And we've learned bad habits. So we learned bad posture and that has effect on our breathing. And we just have learned to do things that are dysfunctional, but now they're habits. So maybe it feels natural, but it isn't natural. And so we have to adopt some of these practices and and some of this training, if you will, so that we can kind of get rid of some of those bad habits and have good habits so that we're not just breathing right when we're thinking about it, but we go back to breathing right all the time. Okay. And then the last thing, we haven't really talked about it at all yet, Dr. Matt, is nasal breathing. When we're kids, we realize that we can breathe through our nose, but we also can breathe through our mouth. And well, what's the difference? Well, there is a difference, isn't there? Yeah. 
What uh, question do you want me to start with there, Joe? <laughs> just, just dive in, man. We'll okay, get to it all. <laughs> I'll, I'll get into it. You mentioned that there that that we have this innate sense, this autonomic nervous system that will keep us breathing about the amount that we should be. And while that is true, I think if you look at the overall health of our society, our innate health and our innate sense of being and our ability to regulate our internal system well from a global perspective is not great. Okay. And what I'm trying to say is that it is important to practice this because most of us are in a state of overbreathing and yeah. a state of poor health for the most part, which has very big impacts on performance, but also the longevity of our life. And there are sure. studies that are direct that, that correlate overbreathing with a ton of negative health side effects like congestive heart failure, high blood pressure. I mean, there's a variety of things that overbreathing generally is linked to. And so, if you just take that fundamental fact, the practice of slowing down your breathing or making it as simple as trying to lessen the amount that you're breathing throughout the day, just based on that fact of overbreathing being linked to a lot of poor health metrics, if you just reduce your breathing throughout the day, it can have a dramatically positive impact on your health. And you can do that through deliberate breath practice. Right. So breath practice is, is again, you know, you can do, a, I mean, some people do breath practices where they speed up their breathing and actually do hyperventilation techniques like the Wim Hof method. But I think that it is, it's a pretty important thing uh, to use the remote control of breath to manipulate your nervous system because your nervous system has a direct impact on your physiology, which has a long lasting impact on your life and your performance. Were you going to ask something? It occurred to me the connection between what you were saying and my question about nasal breathing. And so here, let me throw it out there and see if it sounds right to you. You were saying that generally speaking, we are all breathing too much. And generally speaking, you're going to breathe less volume of air through your nose than through your mouth. Then there's a connection for how to breathe less. Mm-hmm. Breathe your nose. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that there's there's some other physiological reasons for breathing through your nose, like nitric oxide. Am I right about that? Yeah. You have pools of nitric oxide in your cavities, in your sinus cavities, that you access when you breathe through your nose. So when we inhale through our nose, it releases that nitric oxide, which leads to vasodilation and improved blood oxygen delivery. Okay which is a a really positive thing. So if we're talking about enhancing our ability to uptake oxygen from the air that we breathe, breathing through your nose, that's one of the benefits that you can get from breathing through your nose is you have these, this release of nitric oxide, which is well-researched and a really valuable thing and a a good uh, motivator to breathe through your nose. When it comes to concepts like breath work, knowing where to begin, considering the volume of information that's out there can be pretty tough. All right. And so starting in a place that's very simple and very easy to do, I think is an important thing for people to have. All right. And so if you're looking to play around with breath work, you c- it can be as simple as you just starting to breathe through your nose when you're at rest a little bit more. 
All right. So whenever you're consciously aware, transitioning, if you are breathing through your mouth, transitioning into nasal breathing can have a tremendous effect over time uh, and can be kind of the lead in step, the first domino to getting into a deeper breath practice. But it's very achievable, very simple. It's easy to do. You can do it anywhere. Nasal breathing is like the most effective thing, you know, that you can do in the early stages of developing a breath practice. And then if you want to get a little bit fancier, you can just slow down your exhale a little bit relative to your inhale. So if you breathe in for two seconds, exhale for four. And if you do that through your nose, that can have a lot of really positive effects on your health, ranging from reducing your blood pressure, reducing your heart rate. You know, there's a lot of different things and getting back to, you know, the oxygenation, your usage of oxygen, because when you're breathing through your nose, especially when you exhale, you can't get as much air out of your nose as you can out of your mouth. And so we're kind of forcing ourselves to keep a little bit more air in our lungs, which increases as the air sits in our lungs, the air, we, we start to build up CO2. And if we go back to the premise of the Bohr effect, we need CO2 to use oxygen effectively from the air that we breathe in. And so if we kind of, if we leverage this practice and use nasal breathing as a skill that we develop, it won't feel really comfortable at first, especially if you're, you know, if you've chronically been over breathing for a long time, you know, maybe your whole life implementing a practice like this can be a little bit strange at first. But it can, it can have drama- a dramatic impact. I mean, bang for your buck, transitioning to nasal breathing only at rest and when you sleep, it's probably the best thing that you could do and the easiest, the simplest thing that you can do. Now, doing it in your sleep, there's a lot of different you know, tricks that you can use for that. Like what? But before I tell you what, we'll just talk about uh, the benefits of nasal breathing in your sleep. Okay. can have a dramatic impact on reducing snoring in most, in some cases, I should say, reducing sleep apnea. I personally used to snore when I was, and I had sleep apnea when I was younger. So when I was in all through high school and college, dealt with this. And I started, you know, before I ever knew anything about breath practice or, you know, any of the stuff that I'm, I've been looking into for the last few years, I started using breathe right strips in my sleep and I would try and keep my mouth closed at night because I would, I noticed that I wasn't waking up as frequently and I wasn't, you know, I would wake up with my mouth wide open and had clearly been snoring and I was, you know, suffocating in my sleep. And these breathe right strips, those are the things that go over the bridge of your nose and it kind of like opens up your nasal passages. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Yep. And some people will use those and they'll actually tape their mouth shut. Yeah. Uh, so some people, uh, you know, and I've, I've personally done that. I don't love doing that uh, just because it feels restrictive. But for, for a lot of people, they, they really love that. And, you know, it's, it's a really simple thing that kind of forces you to start transitioning into nasal breathing and suggests to your body to do that a little bit more. And like we said previously, that can have a lot of really positive effects on your overall health, including improved sleep, which we know is critical for recovery. Yeah, really for more than that, for, from an athletic performance point of view, surely that's a, that's a shorter term benefit, but people who have sleep apnea, they have all kinds of medical problems that come from that, Mm -hmm. whether it's related to the 
oxygen deprivation or just the lack of sleep, I don't know, but hypertension, diabetes, Alzheimer's, these are all nasty words that come up in a discussion about sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. And, and sleep apnea, to be clear, can be caused by, like there are a variety of causes for sleep apnea, but one is our, the way that we breathe. And if that is the case for you, then this can be a really effective strategy at improving, you know, your, your state when you're asleep. And I've, I mean, I've, per- this is something that I've personally used and transitioned into nasal breathing only in my sleep. And it's, it has had a dramatic impact on, on my health. Yeah. I have done the same, I'll say. Cool. And I have not done it with tape. I just find that as long as I sleep on my side, Mm-hmm. And I make a point to close my mouth when I'm about to fall asleep. Plus, so here's another key thing that I have found is that, because sometimes my nose is, it's not stuffed up with anything I could clear out by blowing my nose, but my sinuses are a little swollen. And so I don't get much air. So I have to, mm-hmm. I have to work on relaxing my sinuses Mm-hmm. before I'm about to fall asleep and close my mouth because otherwise my mouth will open all by itself because I don't get enough air. So I have to do, I have to breathe through my nose for a while. Even though I'm not getting enough air that way, it's okay for a while as long as I'm still awake. And after a minute or so, my sinuses will loosen up and now I breathe fine. Mm-hmm. And I, as long as I then manage to close my mouth before I go to sleep, then my mouth will stay closed all night. Yeah. And there are different drills. I don't know if you've had any exposure to the Buteco Clinic. No. You mentioned Patrick uh, McCune. McEwen. So he, he is a big proponent of the Buteco Clinic. He's affiliated with them. Okay. But they have some incredible resources for breath practice. And one of those resources, because one of their big suggestions is transitioning to nasal breathing at rest. It's like this critical thing. And they, they do a ton of work with, you know, people that are dealing with asthma, COPD, major breath disorders, and they use nasal breathing and different breath strategies to address these breathing disorders. I'll put the link to those guys in the yeah. show notes so people can find it. Because surely if it can help somebody with COPD, it can help an athlete who's just trying to get better oxygen to their muscles. Oh yeah. And, and so they have, they have a um, nasal clearing exercise. You can find this on YouTube pretty easily. I'm okay. sure there's like a thousand videos for this, but a nasal clearing exercise for those, for those people that, you know, struggle with nasal congestion or have a deviated septum, you know, the conversation about nasal breathing only can get a little bit trickier. Yeah. Um, but if it is congestion, you know, there are some exercises that you can use to, to improve the airflow in and out of your nasal cavity. Right. Okay, good. That ultimately, I think, kept me from doing that for a long time. And mm-hmm. it wasn't until I saw videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't remember what they said anymore because I sort of found my own way of doing it that had a similar effect. And so that's, that's what I do, but that'll be true for everybody. You've got to find a way so that you can get enough air through your nose because otherwise your mouth will open. But the other Mm -hmm. part of it, and we talked about it before is you need to train your brain or your sensors somewhere in your body that is sensing your CO2 level. And you want to train it so that it is satisfied at a higher CO2 level Mm -hmm. so that you're not gasping for breath and opening your mouth while you're sleeping. This is where the deliberate practice of breath can be very helpful 
Because if you have this conscious practice where you're nasal breathing and you're breathing slow, this can be tremendously effective for those subconscious moments when you're asleep or throughout the day. The conscious practice sets the table for subconscious action. And that's where, you know, developing a real breath practice can be very helpful, uh, at least from, from my point of view, because it, it really transitions into these times where your body gets used to a, a breath pattern that's a little bit slower, a little bit less stressful, and uh, can, be, can be really helpful. So, Well, sure. And it makes sense. Tell me if this is what you find with your clients, but it makes sense that if if you breathe in a less stressful way all day, then you're recovering better all day. Yeah, I do agree with that. A lot of people will view the breath pattern as a response to your state. So if you have just done a 400 meter all out sprint on a track, just imagine your breath pattern after that. Mm -hmm. Heavy, fast, very deep versus when you first wake up in the morning and you're totally relaxed the slow deep breathing pattern is a product of the environment that you've put yourself in now that is a truth your breath pattern is going to adapt to what you're doing so whether it's being at rest or you're going through an intense interval that's a truth but there's a secondary truth that you can create an environment by deliberately changing your breath yeah. So your breath can become your remote control to access a more relaxed state, which is a very important thing. Like it's an empowering thing for athletes to understand that the breath is not just a product of what they've been doing or what they're currently doing, but it's something that can drive them into a state. And the state that we want as athletes, if we're talking about recovery, is a resting state. Right. So lower heart rate reduce blood pressure, you know, an environment where we're calm and relaxed. And you can do that. There are, you know, well-researched breath patterns that you can utilize to get into that state. And so kind of like what you were talking about, you know, before you go to bed, you have to kind of prep and prime your nasal passageway for you to be able to breathe through your nose at night. Mm -hmm. We can do the same thing physiologically. So if we're talking about, hey, how do we improve our sleep? Like people talk about sleep hygiene. How do you improve your environment around you to set the table for good sleep? Well, a lot of times when we think about that stuff, we think about turning all the lights off, making sure that you don't have your phone there. But you also, not only do you need to set the table externally for a good sleep environment, but you can also set the table internally for a good sleep environment. And it doesn't just pertain to sleep. It could also pertain to just being restful, being calm. Um, we can do that. Like we have the ability to manipulate our physiology and our nervous system effectively through breath work. Right. I think that's a good point to, to make the connection that this calming down through breathing is good for managing stress. It's good for calming down after hard exercise. It's mm-hmm. good for getting your mind ready to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other side of that coin, I think is also true. And that's, you can use breathing to become more alert. You can help yourself to wake up in the morning or, Mm -hmm. you know, if you need to 
pay attention to something that you're listening to, like this podcast, and you want to learn every bit that you can from it, you can use breathing to become more activated. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're already nervous and, a, and full of anxiety, then don't do that. But if you're kind of sleepy and finding that your thoughts are drifting and you can't pay attention, but you really want to learn something, then then that might work. What would be the difference between using breath to become calmer versus using breath to become more activated? I mean, you, you can use different sequences. So if we're talking about breath to calm down versus activating for a workout, it's simply the, the pace that you're breathing at, the depth that you're breathing at, refer to it as the cadence, All right. right? So in my experience, most athletes need less activation work and far more uh, deactivation work. Sure. And sure. so my focus has always been on, hey, athletes are really good at getting ramped up. How do I get these people to calm down? And, and sure. <clears throat> so the focus that I've had, you know, particularly with myself and the people that I've worked with has been de-escalating the nervous system, transitioning into the parasympathetic nervous system. And a couple of the cadences that we'll use, you know, even if it's just cooling down from a workout. So after the workout, if you're stretching out or you're foam rolling, using a one to two ratio of inhale to exhale. So if you inhale for three seconds, exhaling for six is something that I'll use. I think that that's a a super effective way to get things to calm down. And they should do that. They should repeat that for what, five minutes, 20 minutes? There's not a, a specific prescription that I'll give people, but if they're if we're doing a deliberate breath practice, usually I'll have people work for five to ten minutes. Okay. I t- I tend to try and eliminate boundaries or like heavy prescriptions for people, especially uh-huh. when it comes to breath, mainly because you can make it so simple and attainable by just saying, "Hey, breathe out longer than you breathe in." Yeah. Use a one to two cadence and do it when you're cooling down from a workout, which could be anywhere from two minutes or it could be 30 minutes, you know? And maybe more is better. Probably one breath is not going to do a lot. Yeah. I would say, I would say a a minimum of a few minutes, you know, working into that state. Yeah. Well, and you also did mention the Wim Hof. I think that that's a way of doing that activation, the rapid breathing, um, but I think the other thing that I've read about is that just sort of doing the opposite. You had said having the exhale be twice as long as the inhale. I think if you reverse that and you make the inhale twice as long as the exhale, then it has the opposite effect on the nervous system. But that Wim Hof, man, if you're first thing in the morning and you're a little sleepy and you want to wake up right away, do some Wim Hof. You will be awake and your body temperature will go up. You will come alive. Yes, <laughs> you certainly will. The Wim Hof method is is essentially a, a hyperventilation technique, right? Yeah. With some breath holding in there. Yeah. And so when it comes to, to focus and activation, using big mouth breathing cycles can be an effective way to get activation done. That combined with breath holds can, I mean, in my own personal experience, alertness and focus, my alertness and focus improves dramatically if I do some hyperventilation cycles followed by either an inhale or exhale breath hold yeah. can be, can be a pretty helpful thing. But honestly, I mean, for the people that I work with, like I said, the real, so if we're, if we're thinking about how, I mean, there's a billion things that you could invest your time and energy in as an athlete. Mm-hmm. 
my goal as a coach is to use discretion on what we actually invest time and energy into. Mm-hmm. And so most athletes have that tough time transitioning from that stressful environment into recovery and developing that skill. I would certainly put above, you know, major activation. Okay. Well, so the last thing I had on my mind here, and then we'll see if what else you might have for us is this question of how do you get to become an athlete who nasal breathes while they're doing athletics? Now that I've been looking at this topic for some time, I watch the real high-end people, the Olympics, cycling, and look at those guys. They never have their mouths open. They might have their mouths open a little, but their mouth is not like wide open gasping for air. They have somehow figured out how to do this thing. What advice would you give to me and to our audience for how to do this transition of what are you talking about? I always breathe through my mouth when I'm gasping for air. What, what are you talking about? How could I possibly use my nose? I would die. How could I become an athlete who does nasal breathing? I mean, right up to the end. Maybe I can't do it right at my maximum capacity of burning oxygen, but I can do it way more than I do it now when I hardly use nasal breathing at all. And I'll just say that I have done it a few times and it sucks. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to breathe through a straw and I'm suffocating while I'm riding my bike. And so I'm sure that, that if I stuck with it and I just worked it, that my body would adapt to it and I would get better over time. But what can you tell me? What I would tell you is that I don't make that prescription to every athlete that I work with. Like I work with a couple of professional cyclists who do not nasal breathe only when they're particularly going at a, at a, at a big effort, yeah. you know, putting out a ton of Watts. I just had an athlete. I had a conversation with an athlete who DNF'd Leadville. She's an ultra marathoner. And we had this conversation after the race. I, I didn't work with her leading up to the race, but we did a little consultation after. And she, her coach had her nasal breathing only throughout the entire race. Mm-hmm. And uh, she ended up going so slow that she DNF'd And this is someone who has done, she's a savage. She's done some big time uh, efforts in the ultra marathon arena and has actually done Leadville successfully done. She's done that multiple times. Um, And so, (laughs) so this is a, this is a rabbit hole that, that we could go down. Uh, I don't know if we have enough time, but the, but the, the way that you can leverage, I think probably the most effective way that you could leverage nasal breathing as a part of your training is you think of it as like wearing a weight vest. So if you're nasal breathing only on lower zone days, so if you're doing a zone one ride or you're doing a warm up ride or you're doing a zone two ride, that's a time where I'd say, hey, play around with nasal breathing. See how that feels for you, you know, and try and hang on to nasal breathing as long as you can. But as soon as we start ramping up into higher heart rate zones. Now there are arguments on both sides for this, but this is my personal opinion. As soon as we start ramping up into higher heart rate zones, big efforts, we need to breathe according to the effort that we're putting out, which, you know, we talked a little bit about this earlier. You want to breathe according to your exertion. And if we have high exertion, there's a scenario where we should be breathing out of our mouth in and out of our mouth. I think that that's appropriate. Sure. And so th- this this arena of breath work, I think, is very gray. 
I personally do think that there is a place for mouth breathing in athletics for sure. But I will say that your ability to do a high volume of work, so power output while nasal breathing is an indicator of heart and lung capacity. It's an indicator of your effectiveness of delivering oxygen to your tissues and being efficient with your energy. So that being said. So the fitter you are, the more you could do it. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe doing it more helps you to get fitter. Yeah. So it goes both ways. And, you know, just to run back to the, to the ultra marathoner. So one of my little tidbits to her, what I said was, you know, training to simulate a low oxygen environment, like Leadville is at elevation. Yes. And she was training at sea level. Oh. And so for her, utilizing nasal breathing can be helpful to a certain degree if you just kind of like use logic to simulate a low oxygen environment. For her training. But if you train that way and then you also limit your oxygen when you're actually in an oxygen depleted environment like elevation, you're still wearing that weight vest during the race. Yeah. Right. So instead of leveraging the weight vest to train and then giving yourself every opportunity, every resource possible during race day, you know, that that can become problematic. And so, you know, there's all these different little gray areas and avenues that you can go down with breath work. But there's some really interesting stuff. So when it comes to nasal breathing, you know, utilizing that as part of your training plan and keeping it simple initially, I think is probably the best option for people that are kind of looking to explore it and using it in those low stress days where you're, hey, can I get a little bit more out of this ride? You know, can I get a little bit more out of this this endurance ride that I'm doing uh, as opposed to my interval days? Because one of the tricky things you know, as I've gotten more into this stuff in the last few years, one of the tricky things is like the transition of utilizing this with people that are on a time crunch and have very sensitive training schedules. Hmm. You know, we can't miss a workout. We can't, we can't mess up a workout. We need to get everything out of every workout that we have. And so experimenting with this stuff with professionals and putting it into interval, like we, we, we can't necessarily do that. We don't have the, the luxury of, of leveraging that. But an easy place that where we have started to implement it are on these really low exertion rides or runs or swims yeah. that are that are simple. So, well, and one of the advantages of that it occurs to me is that I mean one of the problems that all athletes have, except for the very most disciplined, is having intensity discipline in their training. Mm-hmm. So when they go out for an easy ride, actually doing an easy ride and not chasing some guy down who passes them. Yeah. But if you are doing nasal breathing on your endurance ride, you're not going to go chasing people down while you're nasal breathing. That's right. So it's a good, what do they call that? An engine governor. Yes. That would keep you in your intensity lane. Mm-hmm. And it also, I mean, it, if you've never done this stuff before and you try it, the light bulb that turns on, the suffering light bulb that uh, flickers is interesting to athletes from what I've found of like, oh my God, <laughs> this, is, this is hard to do. This can create a whole different relationship to my zone one, two rides that I've yeah. not had and creates this like uh, a totally different way of engaging in those rides and a metric for improvement, you know? I think what you were saying, let me clarify, is that not only does, is it a governor on your intensity, 
But if one of the reasons that you can't maintain intensity usually is that you get bored because you only feel like you're doing something if you're suffering, Mm -hmm. this is a way of suffering without actually stressing your body out during a workout where you're actually, you're trying to not have to recover hard from it. Yeah. It's a good way of managing your pace and it's a good way of you know, making, making things, getting a little more bang for your buck out of those, yeah. those lower effort days that can, you know, those, those days honestly are probably the most effective days that you'll do as an endurance athlete, but getting a little bit more out of them is, is always an interesting thing to most athletes. And you might even feel better about them because if you're yeah. nasal breathing, it'll feel like you're doing something hard. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I mean, with this whole nasal breathing, breath work conversation, I have no incentive to convert anyone to do breath work. Like I'm not selling a breath work program. I'm not doing, you know, anything other than just discussing things that I've kind of played with, with myself and different athletes. And so, you know, when it comes to implementing this stuff into your own training, it's certainly worth checking out, but it's not going to be right for absolutely everyone, right? And you have to find what's right for you. Thanks for that. I think that's a fair and reasonable thing always to say. And something that we haven't mentioned here that I think has got to be true is when you're talking about limiting the amount of oxygen that you get while you're exercising, there's a risk of losing consciousness. And you want to be careful to not pass out while you're riding your bike down the road. Mm-hmm. So this might be something to do when you're riding on Zwift. And if you happen to <laughs> get a little woozy on the bike, it's no big deal. You know, yeah. the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to fall onto the carpet. But I think that there are some benefits here. I'm going to do this. I am going to start doing a nasal workout every single week on Zwift. And I am going to try, I'm going to start tracking the power that I can put out which will be really embarrassingly low at first. And I am going to see it go up or I'm going to find out why not. Cool. Let me know how it goes. I will. (laughs) So before we transition to episode number two, is there anything else, Dr. Matt? I think that's it. I think, um, you know, like you said, there's always a risk to changing your breath pattern and playing around with some of these principles. You want to be really careful with them. Um, It's also a very gray area. There's some, there's some good guidelines, but this stuff is, it's, I always recommend experimenting with yourself, being the experiment yourself and playing around and uh, you know, practicing some of these principles and seeing if they're right for you. Excellent. All right. Well, that's great. Uh, We're going to get all of your contact info and any links And we're going to put that in the show notes and we'll put all those links and whatever related to breath work into this episode. So uh, on that point, I will say thank you, Dr. Matt. And I look forward to our next conversation, which will not be far off into the future. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Joe. Thank you so much for listening in to my discussion with Matthew Smith of Ever Athlete about the benefits of breath work for recovery. And I hope you tune back in to hear part two of my discussion with Matt when we'll talk about training for adventure athletes and how to avoid injury. You can find more information about Matthew and Ever Athlete in the show notes. And while you're there, you can sign up to take a free fitness practices assessment, send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Thanks again.